been enjoying our discipleship series so far? Anyone? A few. Well, that's going to stop today um, because we are talking and thinking about the cost of discipleship. And this is something that Jesus addresses quite frankly and startlingly, is that a word, in many ways throughout the Bible. I'd, I'd love this message today to be easy, to be like Jesus says, you know, the life of discipleship is so easy, but he doesn't. In fact, a number of things, and I'm like, is this Jesus saying it? You know, when you read something and you go, oh, that's, that's hard. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, if you do not, get this, hear me right here. If you do not hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, I had to check that this was Jesus speaking. Just to clarify, the word hate there is translated into the English means that if you don't love less than Jesus, then that person cannot be my disciple, he said. Whoa, that's hard. In John chapter 6, there's a moment, and we never hear this preached in, from a uh, pulpit, where some of the disciples turned back from following Jesus because they said his teaching was too hard. There's another moment where Jesus says, foxes have holes, the birds have the air, the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head, and someone says, can I go and bury my dead? And he says, let the bury, dead bury themselves. Like, this is mind-blowing stuff. This doesn't sound like Jesus meek and mild. But yet, that same Jesus calls us to follow him. It struck me this week as I was reading this that Jesus kind of regularly breaks kind of preaching 101. You know, he hasn't started with an illustration there. He hasn't warmed up the crowd and got people laughing. He hasn't then affirmed them with a nice passage of scripture and called for a response. He's just gone, right guys, you're going to follow me. It's going to cost you everything. You're 100% or not. He says, your possessions, your things, even people... This life of discipleship, the call is it's going to cost you everything. I'm like, this is hard. Let me illustrate it. It doesn't sound like the greatest sales pitch from Jesus. But he says, no, this is the call. Will you follow me? Right. When I grew up, I'm going to be nostalgic a bit. Some might say I haven't grown up yet. When I was growing up, I used to listen to music on a tape. Okay, Many of you will know what a cassette tape. Some of you may never have heard music on a cassette tape. The cassette, the tape was fantastic. You got your A side, then you actually had to take it out, flip it around, and listen to the B side. And, and then we decided, this is a bit of a faff, right? We want to listen to music on the move. So along came the Walkman, you know? And you could wear it on your belt and kind of like walk around. I don't know if anyone's seen the viral videos of the guy listening to their music, and that you could walk around and listen to your music. The problem with the tape was you'd be walking around enjoying your music, and then you'd hear this, and your tape got caught. So what you had to do is find your pencil, get your tape out, and unravel, and then re-kind of put it in place so you could listen to your music. Bit of a faff. We needed things a bit more easier, didn't we? A bit more convenient. So along came the CD, you know? And you could go to Woolworths every week and look at the singles wall. You, at your birthday, I got an album. 
brilliant. And then we wanted our music on the move again, so along came the Discman. And this was like a Walkman, but in the shape of a disc. No one had pockets big enough to put their Discman in. Okay, and again, you could walk around, listen to your music, could take it with you. But the problem with CDs was that they scratched. And then you'd be listening and you'd get... I can't do that sound as well. You know, and so music started to move on and the makers of music and the way we listen to thought we need something new. The people need to access their music in a more easier, convenient way. So along came the mini disc, which was a complete flop. And then came the MP3, okay? It took me 30 minutes to download a file from the internet, and my first MP3 player was 500 megabytes. But this was kind of a revolution, a change. Music was becoming digital. Now we access music, I don't know how you do, through streaming. And now, rather than just having a tape where we have maybe 10 songs, we can access almost every song that has ever been written, even Ollie Kiff's songs. Uh, you know, and we can access it there at the press of a button. In fact, you don't even need to press a button anymore. You don't even need to be attached to your device to listen to your music. You've got wireless AirPods, and you can say to your wireless headphones, uh, Siri, Cortana, Alexa, Google, play me my music. You don't have to do anything. It's become easier and more convenient to access our music. And personally... I love these advances in many ways. I love it because when we moved house, I got to throw out all of Vicky's CD collection. (laughs) Pure Garage 2000, Ministry of Sound, Take That's Greatest Hits, all gone. (laughs) But why do I say this? All these advances are great. I really do think I don't want to be listening to music on a tape. But there is a challenge because across our culture, there is a drive to make things easier more convenient, and to fit around our lives. And do you know that, that, that drive for advancement and progression can become synonymous with ease and convenience? And the warning I want to give at the start is that this can pervade our faith and even church. And again, it's this tussle. Some of this is great. We want to make churches accessible to anyone, wherever they are. That's brilliant. But when we start to make faith easier, we start to depart from what Jesus says. And actually, our faith and our walk with God is not something that should be easy and convenient that fits around every other aspect of our life. I want to just unpack this a bit today using a phrase that Jesus regularly comes back to as he talks about the cost of discipleship. You can find it in Mark chapter 8, 34, Luke 9, 23, Luke 14, 27, and here in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Because Jesus says, whoever, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your own soul. This is a really fascinating passage of scripture, and it falls within the context of Peter and his discipleship journey. Now, if you rewind a few verses to chapter 16, verse 21, even earlier than that, Peter has just done something. 
He has just confessed Jesus as Messiah and Lord. Jesus said to him, who do you say I am? And he says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. He's just outwardly professed his faith in Jesus as God. And then the next thing we read in verse 21, Jesus goes on to predict his death and his resurrection. And the Bible says he spoke plainly and clearly. In other words, he's not speaking in a parable here. It's not a metaphor. He's saying this is going to happen. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law. He'd be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then we see Peter, this disciple who's just confessed his faith in Jesus. You're the son of the living God. He now reprimands Jesus and says, "Uh, no, you've got this wrong. You can't die. And then Peter gets reprimanded by Jesus who says, no, no, you've got this wrong. You're seeing things from an earthly point of view, not from God's point of view. Verse 23. You see, the disciples in that time, Peter, struggled to understand what was going on. That that Jesus, who he just said was God, was going to go to a cross. How could God die? Those two things are opposite. They can't come together. We have the beauty of hindsight. We have the completed scriptures. We know how the story ends. But Peter and his fellow disciples didn't. And the reality of saying that Jesus was God, but God was going to die, just could not compute. But this is important to say, and this is what I want to root the message in today. Jesus was saying, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I will be killed. And then I will rise to life. Suffering, rejection, death, life after death. When we think of discipleship and the discipleship journey, however that costly that path may be, whatever challenges we face in our our life, the master, Jesus, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, has gone before. He has walked this path. There may be suffering in your life. There may even be rejection. Death. But the promise of God and the promise of the life of discipleship, even though there may be that cost, is that there is a promise of life after death. Do you ever read the terms and conditions? They seem to be everywhere, don't they? You know, even go to a website and you have to read a load of terms and conditions to search on on Google. I often just scroll down and press accept unless it's something particularly important. It was almost like Peter had signed up to something but he hadn't actually read the small print. And Jesus goes on to say, there's some terms when it comes to discipleship. And these are, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Let's look into these a bit. Deny yourself. I think this sounds a bit counter-cultural. After all, if, if you were going through some stuff in your life and you wanted some advice, I think most of us would consider it good advice to say, you know, you need to look after yourself. That's sound sound advice, right? So what does Jesus mean when he says, you have to deny yourself? What's wrong with looking after yourself? What's wrong with self? Well, I'd say this, that denying yourself 
as Jesus says it, is not about putting yourself down. It's not about letting other people trample all over you. It's not, and I think this is important in our day and age, it's not neglecting your well-being when you're struggling. The word self in scripture nearly always refers to our sinful self, our fallen nature. And so what Jesus is saying is deny your sinful self. And I think we, we might not use this language, but we can all relate to an experience where in our lives, maybe even daily, the self rises up. I got up this morning, I went downstairs, and the self rose up because someone had not washed up properly. And I was like, do I have to do everything around this place? And I stopped and I was like, yeah, that's going to come in the message today, isn't it? Because the self rose up, the I, the, the thing that says this is all about me and my world revolves around me and if no one else does it, I have to do it. It rises up and that's a trivial example maybe, but it happens daily. And Jesus is saying instead of gratifying ourselves and indulging in ourself, in all the ways of our sinful nature desires, we're called to deny that Reject anything and everything that would put itself in the place of worship and honor in our lives and instead give that to God only and always. And at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus defeated the power of sin, which we can include self in there, and death. We are restored and redeemed. And so the old self no longer has to have control anymore. We see this throughout the New Testament. Paul says to the church in Galatia, in Galatians 2.20, I, self, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Hey, on this side of eternity, our sinful nature, our self will try and rise up. Daily, it does. And as I say, you probably know those areas. You may be aware of them in your lives tries to rise up and take the place of worship and honor. And so part of the cost of discipleship is to deny that every single day. To say it's not going to have authority in my life. The old has gone. The new has come. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to let that have authority and power in my life. Paul struggled with this. I want to say we're not in it alone. He said, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do. So practically, let me just give a few ideas. How can we deny ourselves daily? Two of these, I think, are more in our thought and prayer life, and one is a bit more practical. The first thing, and I want to challenge you to do it this week, daily. Daily confess who Jesus is and who you are. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I'm your disciple. I believe you died and rose for me, so I'm going to live my life for you. You've said I'm chosen, accepted, redeemed, and so I'm going to give my all to you because you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Daily declare who he is and who you are. Then throw off everything that gets in the way of that declaration. Pride, rights, and set the scene in your prayer life every single day to then go and live like that. And then thirdly, I love this principle. I don't always do it, but I love it. Um, And I'm going to try and put it into practice this week. 
God first, others second, self last. And I like that, but I think it poses a challenge. Does my time match that intention? Does the time I spend on a screen say God first, others second, self last? Does my attitude and my words, do they express that I'm putting God first, others second, and self last? But we're called to deny ourselves. Next thing, the cost of discipleship. Take up your cross. I don't want to preach this, but take up your cross daily. This is a startling ask. So startling that many have drawn the conclusion throughout church history that that's not what really Jesus meant, is it? He didn't really mean take up your cross. I mean, the cross was a form of death. He didn't really mean follow that path, did he? Mm. Let me illustrate this. In fact, I'm going to let Dietrich Bonhoeffer illustrate this. He um, was a great man of God in the 1930s, and he used this example, which I love because the parents in the room will relate to it. He said this in his book, Cost of Discipleship. A dad says to his son, it's bedtime. And the son hears the dad, and the son knows the dad has said it's bedtime. And the son says, well, that's told me it's bedtime, but that's only one option, because actually there's other options. What dad perhaps really meant is it will be bedtime at some point. That actually playing with my toys or running downstairs or annoying my brother and sister, you can tell this happens in our house, are actually other options available to me. But the reality is, what did dad mean? It's bedtime. Dad knew he meant that. The son knew he meant that. But the son didn't like what dad was asking him to do. And I think... When we think about Jesus saying, take up your cross, I can't find in Scripture another explanation other than Jesus saying, are you willing to give absolutely everything to me? I think if you'd have said to those first disciples who many of them lost their lives for following Jesus, now Jesus just meant we've all got a burden to carry. They'd have said, no, this is so important to me that I'm willing to give my all. If you'd have said to the many Christians around our world right here, right now today, who are persecuted for their faith, that's not what Jesus really meant. They'd go, no, it is. He means give your all. If you said to Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Nazi Germany, that's not what Jesus did. No, he's, you give your all. Are you willing to do that? In fact, he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Can you see why I didn't want to preach this this morning? But it's valid for us to ask, what does it mean for us today in a country where we don't face physical persecution? What does it mean for us to take up our cross? Well, the cross was not just a place of physical suffering. It was also a place of rejection, of opposition, and of shame. You know, those who were crucified opposed the Roman state. It was a place of shame because many were often hung to die on a cross naked to shame them. We may be opposed, shamed, rejected for our faith. But to take up your cross means to say, Jesus means more to me than that. 
Rather than a call to deny yourself and take up your cross, it's two separate things. I wonder if actually they're both together. The call to deny is to lay down, lay down ourselves. but the call to take up your cross is to lift up Jesus. Hey, can I challenge you to do that this week, to lay down yourself, to lift up Jesus? Practically, how can we do it? Again, two things I think in our prayer life. Daily, commit yourself to God. Again, God, I'm going to live my life 100%, all in, all in, all in for you, whatever it takes. And two, then step out and live in the light of that declaration. Live like you mean it. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Andy Stanley said this. What do you do when you're certain that doing the right thing will cost you? What what do you do when you're certain that denying yourself, taking up your cross will cost you? And he says... Actually, it depends what's most important to you. Because in the moments of cost and challenge and hardship and struggle, we discover what and who we're most committed to. We actually discover if my faith is disposable. You know, it's working for me then when everything's good and going well. But now, I'm not sure if it's working for me. Does it become disposable? But Jesus goes on to say, what good is it to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your own soul? And Peter wrestled with this, right? He he preached to many. He did amazing things for God, yet he denied Jesus. He wrote loads of the New Testament. But according to church tradition, he was crucified for his faith. This is not an easy path. But maybe we need to reframe cost a little bit as I come to the kind of end of this message because I think we perhaps often see cost as loss. Like, I'll follow you, Jesus, but I'm just a bit worried. I'm going to miss out. I'm going to lose out. When we think of cost as loss, we start again talking in the language of self. It's like, if I, if I actually had some money in my pockets, I've only got masks used. <laughs> if I said to Ollie, here's a tenner. If we see cost as loss, it's almost like I'm losing, I am losing that money. Whereas perhaps we need to reframe it and see this as more like worth and value. And so... I value Ollie. He's worth something, so I'm going to give him that. Can you see how that changes the perspective? It's not something I'm losing now. It's something I'm giving because I value him. And in the same way, I think we need to reframe cost when it comes to Jesus. What if we see following him as worth and more than anything else in the world, more valuable to us to the point where the cost actually pales into insignificance compared to the surpassing greatness of experiencing, of knowing, and valuing everything that he pours out upon us, his love and his grace. You know, following Jesus is worth the cost of denial of self and taking up our cross because it's worth everything. I want to finish by saying that the grace of God 
and we sung about it this morning, displayed in Jesus Christ is a free gift. We're saved for eternity by grace through faith. Grace is free, but that doesn't mean it's cheap. Grace is free, that doesn't mean it's cheap because it cost Jesus his life. It cost him everything. He paid the price that I might be free. And just as he gave his all, I'm called to give my all, my everything. Maybe we need to see cost as the appropriate and the expected companion of value and worth. So the question is, is our faith in Jesus worth more than absolutely everything else in our lives? If it is, then we're called to a denial of self, a taking up our cross and a following him. It's a first step, but it starts today. The God who demands everything invites you to come, to come and follow him, an adventure of joys and struggles. But this I know, the one who calls you is faithful. He's for you. He wants a relationship with you and for you to know the fullness of an adventure of life following him. I think the band are going to join us and as I wrote this message I was challenged, right? It's hard teaching. I was challenged. And this week I had to go to my knees a fair few times and go, is it worth everything, John? Is Jesus worth more to you than everything else? And I have to come to this point of going, God, I give you control. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And I'm mindful as we sing today that some of us may feel like, I'm not good enough. I don't have the faith. I, I'm not sure if I can give my all. I mean, I quite like it to fit around everything else. The same God who calls us to everything also says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. The grave and the resurrection also says that he's for you and that you can have eternal life and you can know him. And it is a journey, but I want to present this to you today. He calls you to give your all. As we worship, would you respond? Would you give him everything today? Choose to confess him and then live in the light of that confession. If you'd like to receive prayer, if you'd like someone to stand with you, if you'd like someone to pray with you, then our prayer team are going to be available as we sing. It's a hard message, but I really believe that God wants us to go deep into the things of him. And it's worth so much.